Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, if you would please, Matthew and chapter number seven. I'm not saying that we, you have to be from Kentucky for us to be good friends. I'm just, mm, all right. Yeah. All right. Matthew uh, chapter seven is our text. Our series, um, Jesus is King. And so it's not like his coronation service is coming up. He's already king. Now, he will literally rule on the earth from Jerusalem as the capital. Uh, that will happen, and he'll rule and reign a thousand years in that literal kingdom and in the eternal state. But in the meantime, he's still king, um, and we get to live under his authority. And so we're looking at that. We're taking a good look to see, okay, what does he expect if you, if you want to be his disciple? Okay, and he's laid that out for us here. It's been preserved for us to read. And uh, it is not for the casual Christian. And so it's uh, rather demanding. We'll get into that in just a moment. Let's look at it in verse number one. Matthew chapter seven and verse one. Last time we were in chapter six, we were talking about how there's really no need for us to worry when he's king. We can just trust. And so if you, if you tend to worry, maybe get last week's message and listen to it and, and it'll be a help to you uh, because of God's word. So now we come to chapter seven and verse one and he says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, <clears throat> you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote? The mote would be like a speck, something small enough to fit in the eye. Okay, we'll talk more about that too. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own? That'd be like the main beam, a support beam in a house. Or how sayest thou, I'm in verse four now, how, I'm sorry, how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. <laughs> thou hypocrite, Jesus says, thou hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? Somebody acts like something they're not. You're acting all spiritual, but you're not. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then, and then shalt thou see how clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So the mote in a brother's eye is a problem. It needs to get out, right? But a beam in somebody's eye, that's a big problem. Let's go ahead and read verse 6. And there is a connection, I think, between these two where he says this, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet. That'd be about the swine trampling them under feet, not understanding the value of that which is holy. 
and turn again and rend you, tear you. That would be in reference to the dogs and how they would bite and tear and devour. So it's a chiastic structure that's here and the way it's parallel. But he's saying, uh, don't cast that which is holy before dogs or hogs. How's that? Say it that way. All right. So here's the title of the message this morning. Simply two words. I trouble. I trouble. Now, there's potential right there for a play on words. I trouble. All of us have I trouble. Right. Uh, subtitle, seeing the right way, seeing the right way to help those who are wrong. Seeing the right way to help, to help those who are wrong. We live in a society that says, don't judge me. How do we have right judgment when people are saying, playing that don't judge me card? Should we? Do we? Can we? What did Jesus say? He said, judge not. What does that mean? What does it not mean? Uh, we need to deal with both of that. Then we need to do it before lunch. So <laughs> you may be seated. We'll get into the text here this morning. We were uh, visiting with Tyler last night, and by the way, thanks for praying for him. Just about finished. <laughs> He's, uh, those of you that don't know him, uh, uh, <clears throat> part me down in San Antonio, uh, studying as, uh, you know, in the Oklahoma National Guard in the Army as a medic. Now, we think about, you know, the Army, and, and we think about, uh, really, I often think about one side of that battle, and that'd be the victorious side, us being a strong military. But the other side of that battle is people that get hurt in war, damaged in war. And I, I told uh, Tyler uh, last night, um, I think you chose one of the most challenging uh, MOSs. I, I, I think you may, I know there's a bunch out there, and and uh, I sure wouldn't offend anybody in the army. But uh, I mean, it's challenging to learn all the vocabulary that goes with being a medic and, and uh, all the training, all that goes into that. And I think everybody in the army likes Doc, you know, I mean, he's, it's good to have one around, right? Um, but he began to <clears throat> describe, and this has been the last couple of weeks when it's left just the basics of you know, uh, some of our health concerns and so forth to what happens, you know, in actual combat in the battlefield. And some of the things that those, uh, those medics have to deal with uh, is, is rather horrific, you know, in terms of IEDs and, and uh, other things that obviously happened. Uh, last night he was telling us a little bit, and I, I mean, you all know me, and, and my theme song sometimes is when I see the blood, I'll pass out over you. I mean, that's kind of... <laughs> been my way. So I, I, I have to not listen to everything he's saying because I, I just can't handle it all. But, but um, you know, I mean, talking about, you know, explosives and all that happens with that and burns and other things. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into it here today for my own sake and yours as well. But, um, but they, they've got to be able to deal with that because there's, there's difficult situations that come in life and messy situations that come in life. There are. There are. <clears throat> there are. Um, as we, as we are Southwest Baptist Church, we, we do need to bear in mind that <clears throat> people are going to come here with a really messed up life. 
By the way, we need to keep in mind, all of us are messed up. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I mean, the sin nature that's in me is the same as anybody else, right? And vice versa. I mean, we, we all, apart, apart from God's redeeming work and grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, we, we all are a mess. We're a mess. And we got to be willing to deal with the, the messy situations of life and, and uh, not be selective in that and saying, well, this is, I don't want to deal with that because that's, that's messed up, yeah. you know. Um, I'm, I'm glad a hospital doesn't operate that way. Yeah. You know, if somebody comes in and they say, nope, can't see you. <laughs> Don't want to see you. No, they're, they're supposed to be open to anybody that comes in there, whatever condition that they're in. But what if they took the position of, uh, no, your situation, we don't want you here. Well, that, that would be, that'd be judgmental. And I mean, they, I, I feel oftentimes for first responders, there are some here, EMTs and, and work IMSA and other, other uh, firefighters. I mean, you get some weird calls. Um, but then there's those other calls that are legit, you know, and it's such a difficult situation. But they, they must go indiscriminately to those that are hurting. Our Savior here is, um, he's in, in many ways in a new section of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he's dealt with uh, those that pose themselves as spiritual, but really they're not. They're just as carnal as anybody else. They just look spiritual. And then there's those that are just straight up secular and they don't care a thing about spirituality. And that'd be the latter half of chapter six. Here in chapter number seven, he seems to begin to deal with our interpersonal relationships with one another. And, one of, and the difficulty that comes sometimes with that, and he's not calling us to anything that is easy, just like you know, being a medic is not easy or, or being a doctor or physician is not easy. And, and so even being a disciple of Jesus and listen, not just one who knows Jesus is savior, not just one who calls himself or calls herself a Christian, but one who is going to do what Jesus said. That's a high bar. In fact, we've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. And so we're supposed to be living our Christian life, not in isolation from one another, but in interaction with one another. Good news. Good news alert right here. We'll get along in heaven. <laughs> Amen. We'll get along perfectly in heaven. But until then, it'll be a challenge right here on earth. But here's what will help us. Our relationship with the Lord will help us in our relationships here. When we're right with God here, then we can be right with our brothers and sisters here. And thus, we're not to judge one another in the context of what Jesus is saying, because truly, you're not accountable to me and I'm not accountable to you, but all of us are accountable to God. All right? Judge not. There's some tendencies that we have. I'm going to point out a couple of tendencies from this passage and then also the remedy that Jesus has built into this passage to help us. But there's some tendencies that we have. There are two. One would be this. We tend to be harsh on others, but easy on ourselves. Isn't that right? We tend to be harsh on others in our judgment, uh, in our criticism, we in our fault finding. We tend to be harsh on others, but easy on ourselves. So let's look at that first one here. Um, 
This passage, perhaps, and I agree with Brother Sam Davison, whose notes have continued to be a good help just in study, using it like a commentary when he said this, this, this verse, judge not that you be not judged, is the most abused text of the Bible. Now, there would be a lot of others that get abused, but this would be among the top 10 abused text of the Bible. Many abuse it. They say these unloving, narrow-minded Christians have no right to judge me. Doesn't the Bible say? Like they suddenly are concerned about what the Bible says. Did you catch that? Suddenly they're, they're like quoting scripture. Judge not that you be not judged while I go on and live the way I want to live. So what there really can be, this verse misapplied becomes a convenient cover for sin. Judge not that you be not judged. That's what the Bible says. Don't judge me. Um, then, then you hear this one. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? Stop judging me. As long as it's not hurting. I'm just hitting some of the things that people sometimes say. As long as it's not hurting anybody, what does it matter? What does it matter? All the while, they're living with somebody that's not their spouse, drinking, living in doctrinal error, Claiming baptism as their means of salvation, even though the Bible says it's by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And, and but somebody would say, well, don't judge my religion. Don't judge my doctrine. Don't judge what I think. Don't judge what I do. Don't judge my sexuality. Don't judge my ideas on, trans, on transgenderism. Don't judge me. Just stop judging. That's what's wrong with the world is a bunch of people that are judgmental. And thus they use this as a don't judge me card. And the result of that is nobody wants to tell anybody that they're wrong anymore. I said nobody wants to tell anybody that they're wrong anymore. Um, I mean, if you're a man and you want to say you're a woman, nobody can say you're wrong about that. And if they are, if they do say you're wrong about that, then that's bigoted. You're a bigot. And you're judgmental. If I want to say, I, I just watched a video and showed it to the staff at our staff retreat. Just some of the ideas that are out there. This man that was interviewing students at the University of Washington. And, 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 and he says, what if I said to you that I'm a woman? He's a 5'9 white guy. What if I said to you that I'm a woman? Then all of them, all 10 of them said, well, that's great. Good. Good for you. Whatever you want to think. What if I said to you I'm Chinese? Every one of them said, uh, well, that's great. I would figure that maybe you got Chinese somewhere in your heritage, in your background. But it's obvious that he's not Chinese. What if I said to you that I'm seven years old? And they laughed and said, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that you're not seven years old, but every one of them rationalized it. Well, but if you want to say that you're seven years old, who am I to judge? I mean, these are some of the words they use. Who am I to say you're not seven years old? What if I want to enroll in the first grade? Well, if you didn't do well in the first grade, then maybe you ought to go ahead and... <laughs> I mean, literally, these were some of the literal answers. Now, I don't have it word for word. And you can check it out if you need the link. You just let me know. And I, what if I said to you, I am six foot five? And he was five nine. And one, one young lady finally said, well, you can't be six foot five. Why not? Because you're not six foot five. So I can be a Chinese woman? I just can't be a Chinese woman that's six foot five. 
Do you see where this goes? Hey, I, I'm here to tell you, actually, I'm not bald. I've got a full set of hair. <laughs> I mean, this postmodernism is awesome. I could have as much hair. My hair looks like Brother Ted, only it's not gray. And he actually, his is not gray. He told me it's dark black. I, don't, I mean, come on, we're living, are we playing make-believe? But nobody wants to say, no, you're wrong. In fact, many of them said, I, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Because as long as you're not hurting anybody, then you can go to whatever bathroom you want to. You can be whatever you want to. And on and on it goes. Well, what if I walk up to the, to the White House and say, I believe I'm the president here. I wonder if they're going to stop me. Do you see where this goes? It's foolishness. What it is, proclaiming yourself to be wise, you become fools. It's Romans chapter 1 is what it is. So there's that extreme. Nobody wanting to tell anybody that they're wrong. But it makes, it makes sense. When, when people don't want to admit their responsibility before God, should would be any wise surprise that they don't want to be responsible to man? If there's no fear of God, is it any surprise to us that every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes, regardless of what you think or anybody else thinks? So there's that extreme that we should not judge anybody. But I, I want to say to you very clearly here on this text and others like it, that that is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we don't tell somebody that they're wrong. Because let me just ask you a really easy question. I could probably take out about a page and a half of my notes right here just by asking this question. Did Jesus ever tell anybody that they're wrong? Sure he did. You say, well, he, had, he was sinless. That is so true. How about this? Let's toss out another individual here. How about Paul? Did he ever tell anybody they were wrong? Yes, he did. How about Timothy? Did, did Paul tell Timothy? Reprove, rebuke. What is that? That means you're telling them that they're wrong. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Exhort means encourage. But it's two-thirds, you're wrong. One-third, good job. He said, that's what I don't like about Baptist churches. I, I wanted to come in here and just him tell me, preacher, tell me I'm going to be okay. What if you're bleeding to death? You want me to tell you that you're going to be okay? What, what if your bodies eat up with cancer? Do you want me to lie to you, like make you feel good about, about a, a myth, uh, something that's not real? Do you want me to tell you that what is not real? you want me to just kind of make you feel good for about an hour and then you go out and you live your life in, 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 in wretchedness and in sin that's destroying you and destroying your family? you want me to tell you that alcohol is somehow good for you? you want me to tell you that cigarettes are somehow good for you? you want me to tell you that sex outside of marriage is somehow going to help your life? you want me to tell you something that's not true? I don't think you want me to tell you that. I think you want me to tell you what God tells you, and that means that we got to reprove and rebuke and exhort. That means that we got to tear down and build up. But nobody wants to tell anybody that they're wrong anymore. Probably because they don't want to hear it. But the same one who said, judge not that you be not judged, and we'll get to that in just a moment, is the same one who said, judge righteous judgment. In John chapter 7, verse number 24, you check it out later, he says, judge righteous judgment. In other words, here, right here in our text, connected to our text, he says, if you uh, don't cast your pearls before the swine, don't, uh, he says in, in verse number 6, give not that which is holy unto dogs. So he's saying some people that you talk to may pose themselves, act like dogs or pigs. In other words, their nature is such that they don't want to change, so don't waste your time there. That, that means, though, that implies that you've got to be discerning. There's a difference between being discerning and being judgmental, like what Jesus is saying here. You've got to discern when you're dealing with somebody that you ought to shake off the dust of your feet and move on to the next person. Are you listening to me? 
And then later on in chapter number seven in verse number 15, he says, beware of false prophets, which means then you've got to make a judgment call as to whether this person is a true prophet of God or a false prophet. That requires judgment. And you'll know them by their works. And, and on and on. I mean, I, I literally do have a page and a half of, of notes that talks about trying the spirits to know whether they be of God. Matthew chapter 18, if somebody offends me, then I need to go to them. Or if somebody offends you, you need to go to them. And you, you approach them about the wrong that they've done. Listen, and that's not being judgmental. That's just saying, I want a relationship with you. But there's something between us that needs to be removed so that then we can be restored. Church discipline. Somebody would say, I don't think churches ought to exercise church discipline here in this new age. Well, what, at what point did God issue us some kind of a statement that says, stop exercising church discipline? This is the 21st century. Is that right? It, no, it doesn't matter what century it is. It's still in the Bible that we've got to deal with membership that is doing wrong to help get them back. The difference is what heart you use. Everybody catch all that? Or do I need to start over again? I realize I was speaking pretty fast. I feel for the people doing the sign language. This is sometimes crazy. In other words, the Bible clearly says you've got to deal with sin and tell people that they're wrong. But you need to do it in the right way. Our Savior told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he was very religious. But being, please listen to this, being religious is not enough to get you to heaven, no matter what religion it is or how religious you are. The truth of God's word is, except ye repent, you also shall perish. If you try to go to heaven without the new birth, you will go to hell. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said at, at John chapter 4 as he's dealing with the woman that was, that was in an adulterous relationship in, in fornication. She'd been with five other men, if my memory serves me right. And Jesus says, go home and call your husband. And she rightly said, I have no husband. Because she knew she wasn't married. She knew she was living in sin. But listen, here's what Jesus did. Jesus dealt with the need of her soul and saved her. He did not condone her sin, but because of what he would do on Calvary, he was able to forgive her. But our Savior doesn't say, yeah, it's okay. Whatever you want to do. And we need to follow that same exact example. And we could do so without being judgmental like what he's describing here in this text. Now, let, let me just put it on pause right here to say this. Every one of us, including myself, of course, we need to be open to somebody showing us, telling us where we're wrong. I, I read it this morning. I, I've, got, I've got probably 10 verses right here that I'm not going to read. But if you just read Proverbs chapter 15, then you'll, you'll see things like this. A fool despiseth his father's instruction. It's a foolish son or daughter who says, I don't want to hear what you have to say. That's foolish. That's foolish because they're trying to help you. And other verses like that that are in this text, the, hear, the ear that heareth reproof of life abideth among the wise, but he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. In other words, when somebody's trying to help you, using God's word, then we all need to be open to it. We all need to be open to it. Now, the point of the text 
is that when we're on this side of the Bible, trying to help somebody that is off, what kind of spirit ought we to have? Jesus is dealing with this specifically, that harsh spirit. Also in our Bible reading today is Luke chapter 7. But there in text me this morning and said what a blessing that a particular verse out of that passage had been to you and how that this woman, uh, here's the setting. Can I, can I describe it real quick? It actually fits the sermon. I'm not just chasing a rabbit here, okay? In Luke chapter 7, a Pharisee, religious elite leader in Judah, wanted to have Jesus over to his house for a meal. Whenever a religious leader would have people over to the house and others could attend, only they couldn't sit at the table because that was for the spiritual. Jesus is sitting there. Well, this woman comes in that everybody in the room knew who she was. They knew that she was a woman with a bad reputation. And she made her way over to where he was as he's reclining. You know, they didn't sit at a table. Sorry, the picture is wrong. They were, they were reclining. I'm just saying, we got to say people are wrong. And, and so they would, be, <laughs> they would be reclining like this. So his feet are here and he's, you know, eating the, the supper there and having a meal and having a conversation. And the common people could come in and they could listen to the conversation, though they couldn't speak. So she came in with her tears and she began to wipe his feet with her hair and anoint his feet with precious ointment. And this man named Simon that was there, the Bible says he thought in himself, if this this man knew what kind of woman that was. He wouldn't let her touch him. Judging. Judging. Now, socially awkwardness probably kept him from saying, oh, hey, woman, get up out of here. But in his heart, that's what he's wanting to do. You don't deserve to be here. You're a harlot. You're a, you're a prostitute. You're an ungodly woman. Now, I don't know all of her situation, but I do know this. The Bible says she was a sinner. And Jesus often met opposition from the religious crowd that said, why are you eating with sinners and, and, and being with them? By the way, he wasn't drinking with them. He wasn't carousing with them. He was trying to win them to cry to himself. And, and he was trying to make a difference in their life in a, in a spirit of humility. And if anybody, I said, if anybody had a reason to pick up that stone in that other situation where this adulterous woman came and I wonder where the man was. But if anybody had a reason to pick up that stone and to throw it at this woman that was committing adultery, then surely Jesus and Jesus could have because he alone was without sin. And yet neither did he condemn her. But then he said this to her, go and sin no more. You see, he recognized it was sin. Go and sin no more. Fornication, adultery is sin. Simon, his inner lawyer, raised, rose up and said, if this man knew that this was a, a woman of ill repute, then he wouldn't have anything to do with her. He must not be as much of a religious leader as he thinks he is. Oh, listen, friend, he's the greatest. And Jesus gave the illustration and said that if a man is forgiven of 500 pence and then another is forgiven 50 pence and they both are forgiven. I may not have my numbers exactly right. You can check it out later in, in Luke 7. But, but he said, if one is forgiven of 500 and the other is forgiven of 50, which one's going to love the most? And Simon. Jesus said, I've got something to say to you, Simon. Simon, which one of those would love the most? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who is forgiven much. Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't even wash my feet. You didn't give me the means of just common courtesy. You didn't even give me common courtesy. But this woman has not ceased to wipe my feet with her hair and her tears and that precious ointment. In other words, he's saying she is forgiven much. That's why she loves me so much. But you don't love me. And that's why you are judgmental. 
Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. With whatever judgment you meet, that's the judgment that you're going to get. In other words, he's saying simply this. If you treat people that way, don't be surprised if they treat you that way. That's it. And what Jesus is saying here is we ought not have that condescending, judgmental attitude that would keep some people from being saved or keep some people, I thought about making this application right here, Brother Ted, in, in our church services, that would keep this congregation from saying, those, those people that come, th those people that are trying to come back to church that have lived a life of sin, they don't need to be here. And it could be former members. It could be saved baptized members that maybe left and maybe they left under bad circumstances. Maybe they made some really bad decisions. Maybe they left in a huff. Maybe they left in, in a way that wasn't right. I don't know. But what if I'm just simply saying, and thank God that's been the case here that some have come back and I'm glad to see they're receiving a warm welcome, but I want to exhort everybody here. Don't you snub them. Don't you look down on them. Don't you stay away from them. I know it's easier to avoid them, but don't you stay away from them because we've got to do what Jesus would do. And he says, judge not that you be not judged. What if it were you? What if it were your son? What if it were your daughter? What if it were your spouse? What if it was your grandkids? How would you treat them? Then treat them that way. We tend to be harsh with others, but we let ourselves go. And what we need to do is respond with humility and then this key, a heart to help. Amen. A heart to help. And thus I thought about it this way, that if somebody is down and they're bleeding and they're hurting and, and Tyler was explaining to me and to us rather that how they're supposed to come up and assess the situation to see, okay, do they have an airway? And he's, he's got this checklist he's going through. I mean, they've drilled it into him so much that he's thinking, where are they bleeding? How can I stop it? If their leg has been blown off or their legs have been blown off, they may still be alive. How can I do a tourniquet to stop the bleeding there? In other words, I want to keep them alive. What do I need to do to help them? And if their, their airway, if their, their mouth, and no, I'm not trying to be too much here, but, but how can I get air into their lungs? What do I need to do? In other words, that's, that's the heart of a physician, not the heart of an enemy. And I thought about it that way. That's the way that God wants us to be, to have the heart of a physician that comes with, with loving care and assessment to see what do I need to do to help this individual. And, and you can't save them all, but let's do what we can to save the ones that come. Let's do what we can to save the ones that are out there that want to be helped. I, I guarantee you somebody in that situation, if they're thinking right, they'd want to be helped. And, and, and so we need to come with a heart of humility and a heart of, a heart of, of concern and a heart to help, and, but not as an enemy. An enemy would shoot them again. An enemy would kick them again. An enemy would let them bleed out because that's what they deserve. That's an enemy. And Jesus is saying, don't act adversarial. You're a disciple of mine. You follow me. You treat sinners like I treat sinners. And Jesus loves sinners. Now he, I mean, he was, he was straightforward calling out the Pharisees. In fact, some of the, the hardest preaching Jesus did was against the religious crowd. As he said, you generation of vipers, you're acting one way and you're living a different, you're a hypocrite. I'm telling you, he laid it on the line with them. We tend to be harsh with others, but easy on ourselves. Now, I, I, I want to hasten to say this to everybody that's here. You need to understand this. While man is not your judge, you don't come to, through some priest. I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. 
I'm not a father. I'm, I'm a pastor. He said, call no man father. And there's one priest, the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sinner has got to be saved through him. And I'm just simply saying to you today that someday you'll stand before God. And you need to know ahead of time that you're right with him. And through Jesus Christ, you can. What he did is sufficient to save you. What you try to do, always insufficient. You say, well, that's narrow-mindedness. No, that's Bible truth. And you're thinking anything other than that, then you're wrong and you need to repent and trust Him and what He did to save you. And the Bible says that that is when the new birth takes place. But what you may need to do this morning by way of some application is if you've been judgmental towards somebody else, you need to get off the throne or you need to get off the judgment seat because you are not the judge. You need to be discerning. And we, I've already dealt with this, but I, I feel the, the need to maybe circle back around to say, it doesn't mean we never tell anybody they're wrong. But when we do, we've got to do it with the right spirit and the right way. Does this make sense? Okay. Because otherwise it's very hypocritical to have this spirit and attitude. I see that you've got a moat in your eye. Well, what's the moat? Well, let me see if it got moved here. Just put one in here. I don't know where it went. I'll get another one. Okay, we'll illustrate it all at the same time. This is not a moat. This is a beam. This. I'm trying to see if I got why I feel it. There it is. That. Can you see it? That is a moat. Splinter, speck. I'm weed eating. You know, when you turn it on its edge and some of you got the metal edger. Those are awesome. But I'm turning mine on the edge and, and, and it's... And I love getting a straight edge on the driveway or on the sidewalk. Anybody else with me right here? I mean, uh, straight lines, man, they're beautiful, awesome. I'm way off track right now, but I'm just simply saying, but it kicks stuff up. And, and, you know, I wear glasses, I wear sunglasses. I probably should wear better safety glasses, so I'm wrong. But anyways, sometimes something will fall. Oh, man, you know what I mean? Huh? And that bothers you. I mean, a little bitty, bitty, bitty grain of sand or rock. I had a little bitty one in my shoe. I don't know how it got there, but I had just a little one in my shoe. I, I studied better with my shoe. I'm giving you way too much information, but I, I, I put my shoe back on and I thought, oh, what is that? I mean, I pulled it out and it was about that size, just really small. It doesn't take a lot to become an irritant. And it needs to be dealt with. You get something in your eye, you got to work it around and try to get it out or use solution. I've heard of some that, um, you know, have had have been working with metal and get a, just a little sliver of metal in the eye. Man, that's I mean, that's really I've never had that. And I don't want that. But you got to go to the doctor with that and get that removed. Right. And then that doctor, that eye doctor is going to be really careful because the eye is very, very delicate. It's amazing what they can do with the eye now by laser and by other means. But I mean, still, you got to be super careful. I mean, he doesn't just come in whacking. <laughs> right? Jesus says, how is it that you can see 
that little moat, when you got this in your eye, I mean, this right here would be a problem. Wouldn't you agree? Hey, I see that you got a moat in your eye, right? I mean, Jesus is actually using humor here to say this is ludicrous that you would act that way. So how does that apply? Well, let's say there's some guy on, on death row and, and he's, he's upset with his cousin because he's breaking an injury and he's committed, this guy, the one on death row has committed two murders and he's saying, man, I don't understand why my cousin can't see where crime leads. You get it? Or somebody that's an adulterer sees somebody that's too close to his wife getting upset about that. Or somebody, these are Brother Sam's illustrations in his notes. I think they're very good. Or somebody that's not been tithing and they're robbing God. And yet somebody steals their wallet and they get all upset about it. Does that make sense? But he goes on to say in the context, actually the beam would be this that spirit of judgmentalism that is in the way of you actually helping the people that you want to help. Because all I can see is I'm right and you're wrong. Because we, here's the second tendency. I don't know if I gave that to you. We tend to see the wrong of others and not our own. We tend to see the wrong of others and not our own. I wonder if any parents have had this happen before. I wonder if any parent have had this happen where their child, their, their three-year-old or their four-year-old comes in and says, Mom, Dad, I've been very selfish. I took the toy away from my brother or sister and I punched him right in the nose. He's okay, but I shouldn't have done that. How many of you have had kids come in and confess all that to you? Okay, and I'm seeing parents saying no, but how many of you have heard this? Jimmy took that away from me. I had it first. I hit him, but he hit me first. How many of you have heard that? Now that's more like it because they're seeing the wrong that the others do, but they don't see their own wrong. Marriage counseling. <laughs> she is always spending all of our money. Oh, yeah? Well, you slack off on the job. Oh, yeah? You following me? You're always nagging me. And just back and forth it goes. Most marriage problems, people come in and they're speaking second person or third person Singular, he, she, or you. Rarely do they come in and say, Pastor, I've really made a bad decision here. I've done so wrong. I've talked to my wife wrong. It's always she, he, she, he, they, him, her. We see the wrong of others, but we don't see where we've been wrong. And Jesus says, here's what you ought to do. First of all, Let's get that out of your eye. <laughs> I imagine that'll be a big relief to you. Whew. Whoa, wow. Now I can see clearly to deal with this 
and actually be a help. Because this needs to get out. This is wrong. This hurts. But we can't have that attitude and be a help to anybody. So Jesus is saying to us, the right way to help someone who's wrong is to deal with them in humility and with a heart to help. Now, church, I believe you already see how this applies. But we're going to have people that come and they're not going to know church lingo and know how to do church stuff. And they come in here feeling like, I am not a church person. Let us not in any way make them feel uncomfortable because of the way that they're dressed or the way their hair is or what their uh, body is marked up. Are you following what I'm, what I'm saying? You say, well, they don't part their hair like I part mine. I've got a hard part right here. Can't you see? They don't, they, don't, they don't part their hair like I part mine. They don't wear what I wear. Hey, uh, wait a minute. They need Christ, and so did you. So let's, let's let them come in. In fact, not only just let them come in, let's go out and bring them in. Because they're sinners just like you and I are sinners. And today, if there's somebody here that's hearing this message, you're saying something in you resonates with that because you really want God. But sometimes I've kind of been turned off to God and Christ because of Christians. That's because Christians haven't been doing what Jesus said. Don't, don't pass judgment on Him based on Christians. And I realize that, that that's not right because they shouldn't have to overcome us to get to him. It actually ought to be, we are an extension of who he is to them. Lovingly, humbly, caring, willing to say you're wrong. Willing to say you can't say you're six foot five when you're five foot nine. Willing to show people where they're wrong, but to do so in a loving, kind way that Jesus can use to bring the lost or the wayward to him. And so today, if you're lost, or if you're wayward, the Savior is waiting to save you and to bring you back. And if we're thinking like our Savior's thinking, so are we. I said, so are we. Let's stand together here this morning. Appreciate your attention. Lord, as we prepare for this time of invitation, I'd first of all want to pray that you'd help us as your disciples, modern day disciples living in this judge-me-not society, that you would help us to have the right judgment, the right spirit in judging, not compromising, um, but at the same time not condemning when we're not the judge. Help us to be like a medic going to help others, person to person assessing the needs, remembering how we've been helped. <clears throat> So God, however that applies today, I pray you'd help us to respond in the way that we ought to. Lord, I pray that you would help those that ought to come to come. Lord, maybe they've been away from you and, and Lord, you and your love, you've drawn them back to yourself. I pray today also, God, for any here that they are not 100% sure about their salvation. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to respond and be able to come. I know that the Spirit is calling them to come and the church 
here at Southwest is calling them to come. And so I pray that you, Lord, would speak to them, bringing the conviction that they need and helping them to respond in repentance and in faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Page 251, if you'd like to sing along with the choir.